I'd like to speak tonight really on the subject of unbelief. My title is this, So Slow to Believe. We turn to Luke 9 and our text, we shall look at a few verses in Luke, but our text to start with is Luke 9, 44. The Lord Jesus giving a command to his very own disciples, those who had followed him, they'd been with him, They'd seen his ministry, they'd heard him preach, and some of them had even been with him up the mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. And yet, still, they did not fully believe. Is there someone here tonight? And this could be said of you. Let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not this saying. Do you know it's one of the most common misunderstandings, if we can be kind, maybe it's deliberate, that the Christian message is distorted. The Christ that is taught popularly in the media, in classes, in school, is a weak Christ. A Christ that couldn't help it. He was taken by force and he couldn't resist. A weak and a helpless Christ. Most would acknowledge that he was a good teacher. Most would acknowledge that he was a miracle worker. Of that there can be very little doubt. Even amongst those who doubt the word of God, there is just too much historical evidence in history and in so many writings to doubt the existence of Christ and that he was a teacher and a miracle worker. But they distort the message when it comes to the cross. And they tell a story, something like this. Christ was a weak man. He was helpless. And against his own will and inclination, he was taken by force. And he was put upon a cross. And none of his followers could do anything to help him. And on that cross, he was unable to call down a legion of angels. He was weak and helpless. What a distortion of the truth of the word of God. And I want to try to prove that to you tonight with a number of verses. Of course, Christ knew everything about his death. He knew every detail. He knew how he would die. Even that was prophesied in accurate detail, that he should be the cursed one, the one hung upon a cross. He knew how he should die, the method of death. He knew when he would die. He knew where he would die. He knew who would betray him. He knew how many coins, silver coins, it would be that Judas required for the Lord Jesus to be betrayed. But you know, more important than that, that's just the practical historical facts. 
He knew why he had to go to the cross. And as we read in this verse, and we'll come back to it, for the Son of Man shall be delivered. This was certain. It was central. It was the core of the whole plan of God before there was a world, before there was a universe, before there was a you and a me. This was planned and mapped out. He knew he had to fulfill this glorious plan. He had to fulfill the hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament. He had to rescue a countless number of people from our estimate. Of course, he knows the number. He knows the names of all those that he went to the cross to die for. He knows how many hairs there are upon our heads. He knows all about every detail of our life, and he knew every detail about his life and his death. He knew he had to bear the punishment of my sin. He knew what I would do. And he knew there was no other sin-bearer for my sin. There was no surprise. Nothing surprised him at all. He was in full control. Everything was according to a timetable. And it happened on time in full, as we say. This was his life's purpose. His earthly work. All mapped out, precisely, measured, and timed. Lord Jesus himself said, I am come to seek and to save that which was lost. I just want to turn to a few verses sticking to Luke's gospel. If you turn back in chapter 9 and to verse 20. This is the Lord Jesus, and he's asking a question, a provocative question. And he's saying to his disciples, who do they say that I am? Who do they say? Am I this or am I that? Am I a magician? Am I just a miracle worker? And of course, as you know, some of the disciples said, you're John the Baptist, come back to life. Some said you're Elijah. Others said you're one of the old prophets. Abraham, maybe. But he said, but who do you say that I am? A probing question, as the Lord Jesus always did. He probed the heart. He probed the mind. And Peter gave a good answer. The Christ, the appointed the anointed, the chosen one of God. Before time began, Christ was chosen. But verse 22, this is the first time in a very specific way in Luke's gospel that he will reveal who he is. He says, the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be slain, and be raised the third day. 
How clear. You could be under no shadow of any doubt that he would die and it would be according to God's plan and he would rise on the third day. No doubt whatsoever. That's Luke 9 and verse 22. Then let's just read again what we've read in our reading. Verse 44, let these sayings, what sayings? Well, what he's told them already. For the Son of Man, verse 44, shall be delivered into the hands of men. Do you see the definite, precise prophecy that Christ says himself? But verse 45, we'll come back to it, they understood not. They're so slow, so dim-witted. What is it that stops them from taking him at his word? Well, we shall answer that and give some reasons why the disciples didn't believe and why there will be people here tonight who are slow to believe. If you turn with me to Luke 18. Luke 18. This will be the last but one Reference that we turn to. Luke 18 and verse 31. These are helpful. I want you to see them together. So you see the weight of the Lord Jesus' own words. Luke 18 verse 31. Then he took unto him the twelve. Again and again it's the twelve. Those that should know best. And he said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he, speaking in the third person, for he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted upon even more detail revealed. Verse 33, they shall scourge him and put him to death. And yet again, and the third day he shall rise again. Just three clear, emphatic declarations and announcements with consistent and accumulative detail of why Christ must go to the cross, why he must come up from the grave. This was a voluntary action. It was his decision to lay down his life. Nobody took it from him. It was his power to lay down his own life. It was his life it was his plan, it was his work, it was his mission. And in his gracious mercy to his disciples, and for our benefit, he's preparing them again and again. Do you know there's other references, they're slightly more oblique, and we won't turn to them tonight. But the surprise is this, go back to Luke 9 and to our text this evening. Luke 9. The Lord Jesus has already healed this little boy, this only child. 
of the man who has taken him to his own disciples, and they have failed. They didn't have the power that Christ had. They couldn't heal him. And the Lord Jesus, seeing that the disciples lacked the faith, and seeing that the man lacked the faith, perhaps, says in verse 41, sobering words, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Do you see the heart of Christ? Surrounded by unbelief, and it grieves him. Why won't you believe? Why are you so slow to see that I'm the Son of God? I have all the power of God in heaven, the Father, invested in me. Bring that child here. So the Lord Jesus looks at this child. He's torn to pieces, foaming at the mouth uncontrollable. The demon won't depart from him. They had to restrain him. They had to hold him down. It tore him to pieces. Do you know that's what this world does? That's what Satan does. That's what sin does to our lives. That's what it was doing to this little boy. Nobody else could tame him, cure him, heal him. It's the same with us. No one can change your life tonight for the better, except for the Lord Jesus. The Lord goes to this little boy. He rebukes the spirit, the unclean spirit, and he heals the child and delivers him whole to his own father. Do you know that's what he'll do to anybody here tonight? If you don't know Christ, you are controlled by somebody other than Christ. You're under the control of Satan. He has bewitched you. You're under his lies. You're under his rule. And only Christ can deliver you again to your Father whole. Verse 43, we look on. They were all amazed, staggered. Yet one more miracle, unmistakable. Only the power of Christ could do this. And they even acknowledge that this isn't Christ's power. It's the power of God and therefore by deduction, Christ must be and is God. But while they wondered, he says to his own disciples, let these things sink down. They've gone into your ears. I've told you now two occasions. I will go to die. This will be my plan. I will rise again. And yet they're surrounded by unbelief. I want to turn to a final reference you might know where I'm going. If you turn to Luke chapter 24, 
Luke chapter 24, this is where our title really comes from tonight. Oh, slow, so slow to believe. You know, what happened, everything was exactly as Christ said it would be. And there's these two walking on the road to Emmaus. And this is what he says to them. Even after all the prophecies have been fulfilled, then he said to them, Luke 24, verse 25, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ. In other words, surely Christ must have suffered these things and to enter in to his glory. Is there a fool here tonight? Can I say that with the kindness of Christ? A foolish person? Let me try to think just briefly in the time that we have. Why are we so slow to believe? Let me give you, I won't tell you how many. We'll see how many we get through. Why are we so slow to believe that Christ must die and that if you put your faith and trust in him tonight and repent of your sins, he has died for you. Well, the first answer is the one that Christ gave. We are fools. Fools. What's a fool? Somebody that has all the reasons to believe but yet won't. All the evidence all the information, all the sure, certain prophecy and the word of God. And yet, we'd rather believe anything else. We believe ourselves. We believe in optimism. We believe that all will be well. It usually works out for me. We're so foolish. That's what Christ said. Fools. Well, a second reason. We think that for the first time ever, just as the disciples did, that what Christ had said would come to be true won't happen. Well, that was true of them. Of course, it's come true now. But what about us? One day there is a judgment. One day we will be held to account. We will each individually be accountable and responsible for everything that we've done in our life. There's no escaping. Do you think God is telling a lie? Do you think that's a half-truth? Do you think that God, for the first time ever, will not hold his promise and his word true? Every one of his words is pure and cannot be broken. And yet, if you sit tonight in unbelief, you're not only a fool, but you believe God will break his word and that God is a liar and that on that day of judgment you will not stand before him and be accountable. So slow to believe. Well, a third reason, we resist. 
We don't like change. We don't like the consequences. What happens if I believe? What happens if I say, I'm for Christ? He has died for my sin. He has washed and cleansed me because I've put my faith and trust in him. Maybe I'll have to be baptized. Maybe I'll have to give a testimony. Maybe I'll have to put my colors on the mast. And I don't want to. I'm resisting the inevitable. I'm waiting. I don't like the consequences. I don't want to respond. I like my life as it is today. I don't like change. I don't want a change of loyalty. I don't want a change of friends, of allegiance. Do you know what that means? You won't have a change of your eternal destiny. Because if you don't believe, you won't be with God for all eternity. You'll be away from him in that place that we don't like to talk of often, that the Bible describes as hell. And I say it gently. Would that be your eternal destiny? Perhaps we're slow to believe like the disciples. Maybe this is the core lesson tonight. We don't see the centrality of the cross. The disciples, they'd, they'd been with him for nearly three years. And he tells them, I must go to the cross. I must suffer. I must die again. But their thinking was altogether different. You know, that's a terrible mistake. If you don't see that Christ has died and that at the cross of Jesus it's the only place you can go for forgiveness and for your guilt to be taken away, you're making a terrible mistake. Maybe you're focused on philosophy or something else, but we preach Christ crucified, the only hope for men and women so slow to believe. Maybe we don't look at the evidence. We don't look at the changes in so many people's lives, transformed people, prisoners, convicts, converted to Christ, murderers, one beside the Savior, converted to Christ. What else can do that? What else can make an angry man gentle and patient? What else can sort out the twisted character of our lives and make us true and straight and pure? But maybe the answer is this, we're slow to believe because Satan has blinded us. He's distracted us. He's deceived us. We're focusing on the wrong things in life. Do you know, I was told just a couple of nights ago, a close friend, he was walking to church with his children. And he saw smoke coming from a building. He saw the smoke escaping through the French windows, something like that. And it was billowing out. 
And it became very clear that there was a man inside in bed. The heat was already so hot that the doors couldn't be opened. Fire extinguishers were useless. The fire brigade couldn't get there quickly enough. And this man was calling out, pleading for help. But it was too late. The man outside would have done everything he could, but it was too late. This poor man, his habit was to smoke in bed in the morning, every morning, with the window just a little bit ajar. Too late. Too late for his soul. What a terrible thing. Satan blinds the mind until it's too late. Because our focus has been on the wrong things. We don't heed the call. The call of Christ, which is forever. Come unto me, all that are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Is there someone here tonight? You don't have rest for your soul. You won't rest on your pillow tonight comfortably. You won't sleep knowing that if that happened to you, you know Christ as Savior and not just as judge. Christ's words, perhaps, this is another reason. We're slow to believe because what he says, it doesn't match up with what we want to hear. We want a different kind of Christian message. We like the morality. We like the stories. We like the lessons that come. We know that Christ was a good man. Maybe we even believe that he's the Son of God. But the message to us is repent. It's leave your sin. It's get out of the house. But it doesn't tally with what we want. We want life to carry on as it is. We want a different gospel. We want a gospel that has no repentance, no turning, no leaving, no looking only to Christ, no yielding to him. Do you know as well, there's another reason, perhaps just two more. The Christian message is not popular today. It's not the case in all the world. You can go to many countries and there are hundreds of thousands of people who've left their sin, who've turned to Jesus Christ. But in this land, we have to say, it's not public opinion. We've seen that this week. And so we go along with the crowd. We'd rather be a lemming than we would be to live for Christ. But maybe one more. We often hear this. Perhaps we demand a sign. The Jews did that, didn't they? Just give us a sign. Just another miracle. Sometimes you hear the testimony of people who've been truly converted. They found themselves in a fix, in a pit, in a difficulty, in some distressing situation. And they call out and say, if you're there, show me a sign. If you're there, I promise if you get me out of this fix, I will turn to Christ. Some do, but many don't. 
They demand a sign. But you know, this is the sobering thing. Christ says, we are fools. Would you be a fool for the rest of your life? Would you be a fool on that day of judgment when you stand before him and have to give an account? And no excuse will do. No other will speak for you. If you come to him, Jesus Christ, he will say of you and of me, though that man, that woman sinned, I've forgiven them. I've shed my blood for them. I've given my life for them. It had to be. Perhaps just to close tonight, go to Luke chapter 24, the chapter that we mentioned when the two were walking on the road to Emmaus. Verse 31, we'll finish there. They didn't know who he was. He'd risen from the dead. He calls them fools and slow of heart to believe, even when he's died and risen again and appeared to the women at the grave. And then in verse 31, is this true tonight of somebody here? Verse 31, Luke 24, And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. They knew him for the first time. And at that moment he vanished out of their sight. They didn't need to see him anymore because they truly knew who he was. They believed that he had risen from the dead and their lives were transformed and the church of Jesus Christ would explode. These uneducated men would go from city to city, village to village, and turn the whole world upside down because they believed. Do you believe? Or are you slow, so slow, to believe everything that the prophets and Christ has spoken? They knew him. Would you know him tonight as your Lord and as your Savior? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that every barrier, every excuse, Every foolishness would be taken away that we might know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Oh, we pray the reality of life and heaven and hell and the day of judgment and the cross would come before our eyes and that we would truly know him. Oh, help us now, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name. 